so can I take a moment just to tell you uh, just something crazy that happened to me? Uh, Thursday, uh, something just nuts happened to me, and I have to tell somebody, and so I'll tell you, and I'll try to be smooth and segue it into Jesus somehow, but I just got to get the story out. So uh, Thursday, I was out with my uh, youngest son, Luca, doing some errands and whatnot, and we pulled into the drive at our house and parked the car, and I get out of the car and go around uh, the car to get him out of his car seat, and as I go around the hood and I turn uh, towards his door, I turn around to find a pit bull running full speed ahead, straight at me. Now, this wasn't any pit bull. This was a gangster pit bull. This pit bull had chain around his neck. I mean, it was scary, right? And so this white pit bull just running full speed ahead of me, maybe like, I don't know, like 25 feet away from me. And so I, like Superman, fly over the hood of my car, climb up onto my back deck, and fortunately, he doesn't go up on the back deck, but he runs around. He's trying to get onto the back deck, didn't find the stairs. I start banging on the door of my house, begging for my wife to come and let me in. Fortunately, my little one is still in the car, and uh, she opens the door and says, what, what, where's your patient? There's a pit bull, and she pulls me in, and we freak out a little bit together for a moment, and then we uh, go look out the front door, and there's this lady frantically running around for her pet pit, pit bull neighborhood dog, and uh, my life flashed before my eyes, so can I segue that into Jesus a little bit here, is that I thought I was going to be dead on my driveway, and my son would have to see it. And last week, here's the segue, you ready? Hold on, it's coming. Last week, we celebrated Easter, and Jesus died, but he resurrected. Good news, right? See, if I die, I'd be dead, and it would be over. But when Jesus dies, he comes back to life. That's a beautiful segue. That was pretty smooth. I'm pretty proud of myself. Listen, here's the good news. Here's the good news. The good news is that, listen, Jesus resurrected to life, and we don't just celebrate that one time a year. Really, our entire faith hinges upon that truth, that if Jesus was dead, what are we doing right now? This is foolishness. But if Jesus is alive, it's a huge, huge deal. Somebody died was out for three days. We're not talking about CPR, chest pumps. We're talking about he was gone out for three days, and he came to life. And if we really believe that, that changes everything, right? It changes everything. And so it's a huge deal. And because it's a huge deal, I I decided this week to uh, take one more week uh, to continue on looking at the resurrection. And so last week what we did is we established that that since Jesus uh, conquered the grave and he resurrected uh, to life, it, it really becomes for, for Christians the, the very uh, thing that our, our faith really hinges on because if he's still dead, what are we doing, right? Our faith is not, is not grounded in morality. Our faith is not grounded in the institution of church. Our faith is not grounded in a political party. Our faith is grounded in the fact that God became a man. He died for us. And there was three days of silence, but he came back to life. And he's alive. And that's what this is all about, that he conquered Satan, sin, and death for us. And so if you want to flip to 1 Corinthians 15, that's where we were last week. We're going to be uh, in 1 Corinthians 15 again uh, this week, verses 12 through uh, 19. And in verses 12 through 19, we touched on a few of those verses last week. And we saw that Paul, uh, the author of this scripture, ultimately it's God, the Holy Spirit, speaking through Paul, but Paul, the one who's got the pen in his hand, he's writing this letter to a church 
uh, in the city of Corinth. And they're struggling with this concept of resurrection here. And so Paul, uh, in the the first eight verses, kind of gives this creed that had been passed to him, and now he's passing it to them. It was a creed that really established the truth that Jesus died according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he appeared to many witnesses. And, and, and so he, he gives that in the first eight verses. And then in verses 12 through 19 here, he basically says, that, listen, if Jesus is still dead, we are pitiful fools. If Jesus is still dead, what are we doing right now? And so let's read it together. Verses 12 through 19, he says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. What am I doing right now? Right? This is pointless. He says our preaching is in vain, and you're involved in this too, guys. Your faith is in vain. Verse 15, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And then those also who have fallen asleep, that's those people who had died as followers of Jesus. Those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. They're, they're dead. All the loved ones that you're expecting to go be with the Lord in heaven, that's done for them if Christ has not been raised from the dead. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, We are of all people most to be pitied. And so Paul's saying, listen, if Jesus is dead, we are pitiful fools. People should pity us because we're banking on our our lives on a dead guy. We're banking our lives on a fairy tale, and it's kind of goofy, right? If, If Jesus is still dead, then sin still wins out. If Jesus is still dead, then then death still wins out. And we have no hope, if Jesus is still dead, we have no hope beyond the grave. And if Jesus is still dead and we're still showing up to church, we are wasting our time. And if Jesus is still dead and we're showing up to church, well, maybe it makes sense because it's just a crutch for you. Because it's something that's nice and convenient and will help you through the tough times. Then good for you, but you're wasting your time. But if Jesus is alive and well, it kind of changes everything. And so I cannot... I cannot fathom how Christians can walk on this earth and proclaim the name of Jesus and live as if he's still dead. I cannot fathom how people can say, I believe in a resurrected Jesus Christ and kind of half-heartedly live for this thing. It makes no sense whatsoever. Jesus himself says, listen, if, if you don't take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. He's like, if you're not serious about me, you can't be my disciple. He says, if you're not willing to give up your own life, you cannot be my disciple. He says, if you don't even hate your father, mother, brother, sister, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. He's not saying, hate your father and mother and brother and sister. He's saying, listen, your love for me should be so radical, so in comparison, that if you don't, how how can you be my disciple if you don't really love me, if you don't really believe me? That's why so many people are fooled into thinking, I'm a Christian, but nothing's changed. Nothing's any different. little tangent for you, but what I want to do is I want to get into um, some more evidence for the, for the resurrection again tonight. And tonight we 
we, we once again want to pose that question from last week. And that question is, some people come to church and hear it, but really sit there thinking, seriously? You, you really believe that a guy was dead and he resurrected? And the answer to that is, yeah, absolutely. We, we believe that and it, and it changes everything. In fact, we believe that it doesn't have to be this blind leap of faith as so many think it is. Rather, it can be an informed step of faith. It's not like, ah, there's like a cliff over there and I hope I land on it. But it's, it's a step. I can see evidences. I can believe the scripture. I can see changed lives. And, and I could take an informed step of faith. The Apostle Paul, he, he deeply believed it. That's the guy who's, who's writing this. He, he really believed that, listen, this is a big deal and everything kind of hinges on, on this. And, and so what we did last week is we, we saw some of the biblical evidences of, of the, the resurrection uh, from the Apostle Paul. He really believed it and all of the scriptures kind of hinged, hinged upon it. And so some of the evidences we saw were that the Old Testament, really the first half of the Bible, if you you're unfamiliar with the Bible, the Old Testament uh, gives all kinds of prophecies about the resurrection to which Jesus fulfills, uh, even uh, speaks to some of the predecessors and, and those things that happen after Jesus dies, like the, the fall of Jerusalem. The scriptures speak to that. Jesus can't control the things if he's just a man just coming up with a hoax. He can't control the things that are outside of his life. The Bible shows these things because uh, it, and it happened because he was, in fact, Lord. We also saw that Jesus himself predicted, predicted his resurrection. He tells them, I'm going uh, to resurrect after three days. He said, destroy this temple. I'll be back. Right? He's talking about his body. We saw that he was buried in, in the tomb of a rich man, as it was prophesied about in, in, in Scripture, that it was a, a wealthy man. It was an important man. It was a uh, prominent man who, who gave Jesus his tomb. And Jesus gladly took the tomb because he knew that he was just going to give it right back after a few days later. So it's kind of a good deal. Um, and so he, he goes there. And, and the reason he... He is, is uh, put into the tomb there is because, listen, everybody knew this man. He was respected and wealthy and prominent so that if some people began to claim that this was a hoax, all they had to do was say, Joseph of Arimathea, everybody knows where his, his family burial area is. And they could go and say, it's, there's, there's nothing there. And so there's some biblical evidence for you there. We also saw that there were hundreds of, of witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. They were giving names and and, and, and therefore, you could go and you could confirm those facts. And if you would go and then confirm with those people and they had mixed stories that contradicted each other, this would just begin to dissolve, right? This is not real. It would just dissolve. People would say, we're, we're, we're taking these names and talking to them, interviewing them. It's, it's not real. But hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses say the exact same story till the day they die. And if they had conflicted, wouldn't there be things that were published? And so we saw there's some good biblical evidence. We also saw that there was this creed, as we spoke to earlier, that was developed and passed along so that nobody would distort uh, the truth. And we still today, uh, Orthodox and Roman Catholic and Protestant, we all uh, believe this, this creed. Uh, we also uh, see just all kinds of things, all kinds of things in the Scripture that really point to it happened, it happened. That's some biblical evidence, right? Uh, and, and, and we believe it deeply, and it changes it changes everything. And then we also saw um, that, that after uh, Jesus died, buried, resurrected, and even ascended into heaven, his brothers who before he died thought he was kind of crazy. We're not going to worship our brother. After the fact, they began to worship him because they saw him alive. We saw that some of Jesus' uh, worst enemies, even the Apostle Paul who writes this himself, who was out killing Christians, some of his worst enemies then turned and began to follow him because it happened. It happened. It happened. 
There's your biblical evidence from last week. But tonight what I want to look at is two other kinds of evidence. I want to look at circumstantial evidence. And I want to look at some historical evidence of the resurrection. Now, uh, disclaimer, this isn't kind of how I normally preach. Normally we'll take a text and just work through it um, like we did last week. And we do uh, the, the previous 12 weeks. We went through the book of Philippians. So just, just so you know, if you're visiting, this is kind of how it normally goes. But I think this will be helpful for you. And I want to start with circumstantial evidence. Uh, this is evidence... That, that basically uh, is like, hey, if this didn't happen, then how do you explain this? Another way of saying that is, what is the cause of fill in the blank, right? That's circumstantial evidence. And with circumstantial evidence, the burden of proof is, is on those people who disagree with the resurrection. So I want to give you just seven pieces of circumstantial evidence. Maybe you want to write them down. We'll get them on the screen here uh, for you. And some of these thoughts come from a book called Vintage Jesus, but hopefully this will help you here. First piece of uh, circumstantial evidence, uh, number one, is uh, how do you explain the, the change that took place in the, the lives of the disciples? We know the story of the disciples and how uh, they, were, they were called to follow Jesus. How do you explain just this total transformation that took place in their lives, right? Before the, the resurrection, these guys were just complete cowards, right? They didn't want to be persecuted. They didn't like conflict, um, and, and they were pretty much cowards. They had fled when Jesus was arrested. I think the best example of, of this would be this guy, the apostle uh, Peter. Uh, Peter um, was, becomes kind of the leader of the disciples. He's the oldest of the disciples, and uh, what happens is in John 18, you see uh, Jesus is taken captive. He's about to be crucified, and he had told Peter that he would deny him three times. And uh, on the third time, this young girl comes up uh, to Peter while he's standing by a fire and he's warming his hands the night. He's worried. He's thinking, what is going on? This young girl, probably middle school age, comes up to him and goes, you're, the, you're one of the guys who followed that Jesus who's about to be crucified. And, and he says, oh, no, 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 I don't. I don't know who you're, you're talking about. In fact, the, the, the scriptures say that he denies Jesus this third time so emphatically that he begins to curse and say something like, may God send me to hell if I even knew the man. So this guy was such a coward that he, he, he just completely denies Jesus who had been following for three years in front of like a middle school girl. Grown man is a complete coward, right? But, after Jesus resurrects, things change. He gets the Holy Spirit. He, he sees that this is, this is real. I, I didn't waste my life. This is, this is serious. I'm devoted to this thing. And after Jesus resurrects, he becomes not a coward. He becomes this, this man of God who, who speaks with such boldness and such passion that people are astonished. They're like, isn't he the unschooled guy? Why is he speaking like this? Where does this come from? He goes on to be persecuted for his faith, his life is just flipped upside down as are the, all of the, the disciples. God does some incredible things through them. Uh, eventually he gets to this point where, where they say to him, listen, if you don't deny, renounce what you're saying about this resurrected Jesus, if you don't renounce that, then, then we're going to kill you. And he says, go ahead. Go ahead, kill me. I, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to this truth. You, you can kill me, but I know the truth that it, because Jesus is resurrected, then after I die, I too will resurrect to life in him, eternally with him in a real place, heaven. We really believe that. And so they say, all right then, let's crucify him. He says, well, if you're going to crucify me, tradition tells us that he says, if you're going to crucify me, crucify me upside down because I don't want to be crucified. I don't want to be killed the same way my, my Savior is. And so 
he's crucified upside down, tradition will tell us. This guy was radically changed. How do you explain that? How do you explain that? His change and the, the change of all these, these men. If, in fact, Jesus was, was still dead, why would they be so changed? Another, the second piece of circumstantial evidence here is, if this is just a big practical joke, what in the world was their motive? Right? If this is a big hoax, they're trying to create this religion, what in the world was their, their motive? Here's what I mean. Some of you have lied before. I, I think maybe we could probably say that all of us have lied at some point in, in our lives. And when we lie, we tell lies that are to our advantage, right? You remember this ancient thing called MySpace? You remember that? MySpace, uh, yeah, some, it, was, it was real, right? We're going to be telling our kids, I remember when there was this thing called MySpace, right? This MySpace, and on MySpace, one of the goofiest things about MySpace, if you remember, was that you could, on your profile, one of the options was your body type. Anybody remember that? You remember that? It was ridiculous. And I remember it seemed like every single high school girl, her body type was slim and slender. I'm like, you're a liar, Right? It, it's to your benefit, but you're a complete liar, right? And every single high school girl will do that. And on our Facebook page today, you know, like, I'll go and I'll join the, the fan page, guys who bench press 500 or more, you know what I mean? I'm just like, yeah, that's me. Liar, right? We, when we tell lies, we, we lie to our advantage. If this was a big hoax, if this was just a made-up religion, they got together and said, let's do this thing, what was the, the advantage for them? What was their motive? Did they get fame? No. Did they get glory? No. Did they get power? No. Did they get wealthy? No. What was their advantage? What did they get out of it? They got murdered is what they got out of it. There's, there's no advantage for these guys. And, and if I'm going to create a religion, I'm going to make a religion that puffs me up. But they make a religion that puffs somebody else up and that gets them killed. And so what was the advantage? What was the motive? Right? When we tell lies, we tell lies that get us friendship, popularity, tax break, right? These guys told a lie. If it was a lie, that got them nothing but killed, and they all uh, go on to be uh, persecuted to the point of death. They, they lost their, their jobs, their homes, to live lives of poverty and persecution and, and, and traveling, risking their lives because they really believed this stuff. Almost all of them go on to, to die with the exception of, of John. Uh, John was boiled alive and they just couldn't kill him it was probably supernatural they just couldn't kill the guy he wouldn't shut up about jesus and so finally they say all right we can't do anything about this guy let's just exile him and they exile him to the island of patmos where he then would die so i guess really he was uh, persecuted to the point of death but he dies there how many of you would change your story if you're being boiled alive (laughs) maybe i don't know that's all that's pretty torturous and yet he sticks with it. None of them change their story. None of them turn on this because they believe this to be true. If they had, in fact, turned and said, no, 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 this is, this is, here's what actually happened, don't you think it would be published? Don't you think Rome would see to it that everybody knew that Peter renounced Jesus? Don't you think they would see to it that James renounced Jesus, John renounced Jesus? They didn't see to it because it didn't happen. What was their motive if it was a big lie? can't really explain that third piece of circumstantial evidence now here's the thing with circumstantial evidence these pieces of evidence in and of themselves don't just kind of put the nail in the coffin it's done point proven case closed but it's circumstantial and it's good questions to help you here's another one why do people start worshiping on sundays why do people start worshiping on on sundays 
Uh, remember that the Jews worshipped on, on Saturday. Number four of the Ten Commandments was, remember the Sabbath, right? Saturday, keep it holy. And Jesus comes along, and he fulfills the, the Jewish faith, right? He says, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. And he fulfills it. And they start immediately, almost overnight, start worshipping on Sunday, because that was the day of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, now this is important, get this. Uh, Sunday was the first day of the week, right? And so Sunday was for them a, a, a work day, right? Saturday was everybody's off day, right? And so if, if I'm going to start a religion and I want to get it some, some momentum and some steam up front, I'm not going to go start a religion and say the, the day of worship is Monday. Everybody's going to work on Monday, right? That doesn't make any sense, right? But we can, we can say thank you to the Christians of old, thank you to Jesus, that we get a two-day work day or a weekend now because of Jesus and the Christians, because of the Jews and the Christians Saturday and Sunday. Thank you guys that we get a two-day uh, weekend. Praise God for that, right? Really grateful for that. Now listen, understand that we don't just celebrate, because of this, we don't just celebrate the resurrection of Jesus just on Easter one time a year, but we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every single Sunday. We worship on Sunday because that was the day of the resurrection of Jesus. So Another great piece of circumstantial evidence. How do you explain just like this overnight shift of worshiping on Sunday from Saturday? If you've been around a church for any length of time, you know that it takes long periods of time, years and years and year, years to get church folk to change longstanding traditions, right? And this happens almost immediately overnight because Jesus resurrected. Here's, that, here's another piece of of circumstantial evidence why did people start worshiping jesus right so not only did the day of worship change but the object of worship changed suddenly people start worshiping jesus now remember for jews to start worshiping jesus that's kind of a big deal because the first two of their ten commandments speak to having no other gods but yahweh right but jesus comes along he says i am that god and he proved it by resurrecting to life. And so people start worshiping Jesus. And there's all kinds of conflict, right? The Trinity versus this, this idea of one God. We can, can speak to the Trinity being one God in three distinct persons. But they, they took on that conflict. They took on that, that difficult theological point because Jesus resurrected. He said he was that God. And they fully believe it. Good Old Testament, uh, Ten Commandment, believing Jews began worshiping Jesus. Jesus, because he was God in the flesh, and they believed him because he resurrected. He came back uh, to life. Peter, James, and, and, and John could have said, listen, worship us, right? We're starting this new religion. You can worship us. But they got nothing out of it. Instead, they said, no, worship Jesus. He is God. He is God. Worship him. And so people start worshiping Jesus. If you're going to invent a fake religion, if you look through history, people have you worship them right? Cult leaders, worship them, right? And so everybody began to worship Jesus, not Peter, James, and, and John, because Jesus resurrected. Fifth piece of evidence. Why did the church grow so rapidly the way it did? You ever thought about the fact that the church grew so rapidly? It just blew up, and there was this rapid period of, of growth all the way through to the early days of uh, Emperor Constantine when he then makes... Uh, Christianity, the official religion of Rome, which have you ever thought about how, how ironic that is? That Rome who nailed Jesus to the cross, it then becomes their official religion. Now, now why did it grow so fast? Was it because 
uh, it, was, it was good for the family. It really caught on. Everybody's like, that, that's good teaching, good for, for the family. Was it because of the profound teachings of Jesus or great morality is why it caught on so fast? No. It, it was definitely profound, great for the family, good uh, teaching and great morality. But Judaism kind of already had that covered. It caught on so fast because something crazy had been claimed. There were eyewitnesses saying, we saw something that has never happened before. The guy was dead and he came back to life. And so it caught on and it began to grow. He is alive. He is alive. He is alive. We believe it. They believed it deeply, right? Sometimes they would go and they would tell people, here's what we saw. Here's what happened. Sometimes it would lead to converts and people say, we're with you. We believe that. We trust you. We trust him. We're in. But other times when you shared Jesus with people, what it led to was you're dead and you got persecuted. But they told everybody because it was it was real. And there was this rapid growth in the church because people deeply, deeply believed this. They believed it. Uh, Six piece of of evidence. Um, And I kind of got excited and jumped the gun and told you some of this last week. But there's no shrine for the tomb of Jesus. Right. There's no shrine for the tomb of Jesus. Listen, when when somebody really famous uh, dies, their, their grave site, you, you've seen it, Steve Jobs, other people, their, their grave site is covered with flowers and artwork and for the musicians, right, the hippies will write them songs and paint pictures, it's beautiful, right, JFK, uh, Princess Diana, any deeply loved musician, right, the bent kind of builds up and there's this shrine, even for all of the major world religions that are, are uh, founded by a person, right, all of those religions have a shrine to that leader. And, and Judaism for, for Abraham uh, and, and Hebron. For Buddha, uh, his, his gravesite is visited by thousands in, in India. For, for uh, Muhammad, who died in uh, 632, he's visited by thousands and thousands and thousands every single year in Medina. In Palestine, there's, there's some 50 different shrines to different religious leaders of the time, day and age of of when Jesus walked the earth. Don't you think for Jesus, the most famous teacher of all time, don't you think for Jesus who had this massive, massive following of people, don't you think there would be some kind of shrine to him? Even if he was killed and, and was, was still buried and he still stayed in, in, in the tomb, even though some of the stuff he would have said then would have been off, other of his teachings are so famous. JFK quotes his teachings. All kinds of people quote the teaching of Jesus. For, for such a powerful teacher, even though he's maybe off for some things, if he had died and though he had said, I will raise uh, to life again, don't you think still there would be some kind of shrine for him? But there's no shrine for him because he's alive. And there is no tomb for Jesus. He's, he's not there. And every single source, even non-Christian sources of the ancient uh, world will tell us that Jesus' tomb, it was empty. It was empty. Go to the tomb, there was nothing there. So, uh, number seven, uh, another piece of evidence is, is why is Christianity so massive today? We talked about its rapid growth then in the early days, but why is it so massive today? How do you explain this, this faith going from 120 people in this upper room to its explosion into millions, now billions of people all over the world? worshiping him, understanding that this faith is like none other. This faith proclaims that somebody died and resurrected uh, to life. And so today, 33% of, of the world claim to follow Jesus. That's one out of every three people 
claim to, to follow Jesus. The other two-thirds isn't even evenly broken up among the big three. The Christian faith is, is, is huge and massive because Jesus said it would be. He said, I will build my church in the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, let me make a side note because I want to be very careful here. That's statistic 33%. That's 33% of people say, yes, I believe in the resurrection. Yes, he's alive. Yes, I believe that. But Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 14, he says the, the, the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Jesus also says that many will say, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. So there are many people who say, yes, I believe in the resurrection. Because of the evidence, because of the truth of the claim. But just because you say, yes, I believe in Jesus, doesn't mean you're made right with Jesus and you're he- heading, heading towards heaven, right? He says, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, but he'll say, depart, I never knew you because you never gave your life to me. You have never been transformed by my power. You've never placed saving faith in me. So Christianity is, is massive in that 33% of the world claims him but not 33% of the world are right with him. We have to understand the difference between belief and belief that leads to faith. I so believe this. I'm going to bank my entire life on it. That I completely trust it. But one-third of the world uh, do claim the resurrection of, of Jesus. So there's for you seven pieces of circumstantial evidence, just stuff to chew on. Again, this doesn't nail it down and say, there you have it. But it's good stuff to chew on, right? So many people will claim that, that the resurrection of Jesus is a hoax. It's something that people got together and created to elevate this great teacher. But the burden of proof lies with them. And the case has never been sealed that he has not resurrected. Because you can't. Because he is resurrected. And so, review those pieces again. How do you explain the change that took place in the lives of the disciples? And then what was their, their motives? And how do you explain that everybody, all these, these Jewish people started worshiping on Sunday? And then why did they not just worship on Sunday, but why did they start to worship this Jesus? How do you explain the, the, the growth of the church in that day and age? Why is there no shrine to Jesus? And then why is Christianity so massive today? Now, good stuff to chew on, but I know that there are going to be people who say, okay, you've given me a lot of Bible, but I want history. Right? I, I want some, some history. And uh, we could give you all kinds of stuff to, to start to really chew on and and show you that the Bible is historically verifiable. I deeply believe it. Uh, I think it's actually more accurate and more historically verifiable than other uh, ancient documents of its day. There are more manuscripts and more writers uh, to help validate its accuracy than any other historical document of its day. We could go there. We could show how, how uh, historians will not give the right kind of attention to the Scripture we could, we could go and show that people just push this off because you can't really refute it. We could go there. But what you're saying when you say, I want history, is you're not saying, I want history. You're saying, I want some unbiased sources. And so I want to give you just a couple of unbiased sources. Um, listen, I'll say this. As a Christian, I believe that the, the Bible is the ultimate, ultimate authority. I believe that it is my job as a pastor to preach the Bible as the ultimate authority. Authority, But I also know for, for those of you who don't follow Jesus and those of you who are maybe fledgling a little bit in your faith, I think maybe some of these, these unbiased sources will help you. And so let me give you a couple, just a couple to chew on. Uh, th- there, there are two professional historians of that day uh, who worked for the emperor, the Roman emperor. And uh, we're not talking about 
uh, me going online and typing in, you know, in, into Google and typing Jesus and seeing what I come up with. And here's some information. We're talking about guys who were reliable in their day. These are established historians. These are the best minds of their day. These are the best thinkers of their day. The first is a guy named Josephus. Uh, Josephus was born just very shortly after Jesus had died. And when he was old enough to start recording uh, history, uh, many of the eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus were still alive. And so he begins, though he wasn't alive when Jesus was alive, uh, many of the people who were alive with him were alive while Jesus was alive. And he begins to interview him, interview all these people. And he starts to interview these people as his research for his job, which was working for the uh, Roman emperor. And he was a highly respected man. Uh, his most notable question that he did research on for the emperor was, why is Christianity growing so much? Understand that the emperors were threatened by the, the growth of Christianity to the point that they eventually just had to give in and say, let's adopt it. They were threatened by it. And so they said, what's going on? How can we shut this thing up? Why, why is it growing so much? And so after all kinds of careful research of eyewitnesses and other things, uh, Josephus uh, writes this history book called Antiquities. And in Antiquities, it's kind of this, this document on behalf and for the, the emperor. And in Antiquities, he, he writes, and I quote, Jesus was a man, and if one would call him that, he died, and three days later he appeared to them as one restored to life. This is a highly respected historian, non-Christian historian who was writing this. And so he answers the question, why are people worshiping Jesus? And Josephus writes as history that they are, are worshiping him, I am convinced, because he came back to life. You can do some more reading on Josephus, good stuff. Another author, uh, historian, was a guy named Sosthenes. He too worked for um, the emperor. He too was born just shortly after the death of Jesus, but was alive while many of these eyewitnesses were alive. And, and he said, and I quote, we'll put it up on the screen for you, he said, uh, punishment or persecution was inflicted upon the Christians given to a new and mischievous superstition. So he's saying, listen, these Christians were punished and persecuted for this new mischievous superstition. He says mischievous in that, that it was getting these guys in all kinds of trouble. Superstition, he's, he's saying this is some kind of crazy supernatural claim, but they're, they're dying for it. Here's what's going on. These guys are being severely persecuted and punished for proclaiming Christ. Uh, to be a Christian meant that it was highly likely that you were going to endure all kinds of pain and persecution in that day, particularly under this one emperor named Nero. Maybe you've heard of him. And, and it was recorded uh, by Sosthenes that they were being punished. They were being punished. And the reason they were being punished was because you could, you could worship whoever you wanted as long as you also worshiped the God of the emperor, which many times was the emperor himself. But the Christian... Uh, Christians said, no, no, we're, we will worship Christ alone, only Christ alone. We're willing to be threatened and beaten and killed for this because we believe that, you know what, you can kill us, but there's life after death. And so do what you need to do. We're not going to deny Jesus. So they were put to death in large, large numbers. Many of them were covered with tar or pitch and, and then stabbed with a stake and lit ablaze for government parties in the emperor's courtyards as human torches. Some of them were fed to wild animals as, as food. Some of them were thrown in the arenas with gladiators. Others of them were, were, were drawn and quartered, meaning they were, were roped up by their hands and the feet, 
attached to horses and they would whip the horses and the horses would go in four different directions and leave them there to, to die. But they did it because they were convinced we will not renounce Jesus. We saw it. My grandmother saw it. They saw it. It's confirmed. We deeply, deeply believe this. And so Sosthenes said, uh, we punish Christians, but they just wouldn't go away. We punished large numbers of Christians, and they just wouldn't go away. It just kept growing. It didn't slow them down in the slightest. In fact, the thing grew even more, even faster, because people saw, wow, these guys really believe this. And so it just blew up. Death no longer scares them, Sosthenes said. They won't give up their allegiance to Jesus by the, the thousands. There are all kinds of other historians we could talk about. There's a guy named Pliny the Younger. There's a Tacitus that we could look at. There's all kinds of other guys. Uh, but for the sake of time, we'll end there for you. But unbiased, credible uh, sources that say the resurrection is, is historically verifiable. These guys deeply believe this. It was more than uh, a fairy tale. And so hopefully some of this stuff that we've looked at has has helped you from the biblical evidence of last week to the circumstantial evidence, even some of the historical evidence. And so as I begin to close, maybe we should ask the question, what was the alternative uh, explanation of that time period to the resurrection? Because you can't really go and and, and deny an empty tomb. So then what was the alternative explanation? I remember we we talked about a little bit last week that some of the Islamic scholars and and even today um, Christian science uh, they, they, will, they will say that he got beat up by the mob, yes. They will say that he was whipped with a cat of nine tails with balls at the end of leather strips that softened his, his flesh on his back and then hooks and glass and rock would dig into his back, rip, rip off his flesh so that many would just die from that beating alone, the flogging alone. Uh, he then carried a cross on his back, then had five to seven inch nails shoved into his hands and his feet. He was then stabbed in the heart declared officially dead, then wrapped uh, in strips of linen like, uh, like a mummy, then put into a cold uh, tomb with no medical attention, no food or water. Then he got up, still alive, just barely hanging on, rolled the tombstone away, somehow got past the guards, whether he snuck out or beat them up, and then goes on and lives happily ever after and started a religion. That's what many Christian science will believe and many Islamic scholars will believe. They call it the, the swooning theory because you can't go back and you can't deny the fact that the tomb was empty. There would have been a shrine. History says the tomb was empty. Nobody during that period denied uh, the empty tomb. Nobody denied it because it was empty. But the question is where to go, right? He, he appeared to many. He showed them, I'm alive. I'm alive. Listen, this isn't like somebody stole Michael Jackson's body, right? Now, I, I wouldn't have been surprised if somebody stole Michael Jackson's body. Many, many people worship the guy, right? It's an entirely different story, though, if Michael Jackson shows up to a photo shoot the next day. That's an entirely different story. It wasn't, he's gone, where'd he go? I guess the crazies took him. It's, he showed up and appeared to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of witnesses who, to the point, all the way to their death, some by persecution, some by old age, but all the way to their death, none of them had conflicting stories. None of them denied Jesus because Jesus came back to life. In Luke chapter 24, verse 39, uh, Jesus is alive. He comes to his disciples, and they are spooked. Understandably, they're, they're spooked. They just had the funeral. They, he'd been dead. It had been over. Uh, they'd been mourning him for, for three days. 
He returns to them. They think he's a ghost. He says, I'm not a ghost. Thomas says, who had said, I I won't believe. He goes up to Thomas and says, touch me here and touch me here. And and then Thomas begins to to fall at his feet and and declare him as as Lord. Jesus is given hugs. He's he's walking with people. He eats food so that they can see it's it's a real body. It's not just food that's going through a ghost and falling to the ground. He eats with them alive. Why is this important? It's important because we need to understand that someday we too will die. I think there's no doubt about that. The scriptures will say that the reason that we are dying is because of our sin. Because sin kills us. We've turned our back on the one who breathed life into us. And we've sinned against him. That's why physically, I think it's no, no, no doubt we're, we're dying. As we get older, our skin wrinkles up. Our hair turns gray, falls out. People say, uh, you know, it's, it's proven that the average person shrinks by about two inches before they die. We, our, our bodies are dying. But the scriptures will also say that spiritually we're dying eternally because of our separation from the Lord. We've been created as eternal beings, and we're dying eternally. It's so important to understand that Jesus resurrected to life and has a resurrection physical body because he too, scriptures say, will resurrect us to life who trust in him and will give us our glorified bodies. And we will be uh, made like Jesus. What Jesus went through is symbolic of what he's going to do in us who trust him. And so the resurrection of Jesus is so important so we can understand that we're, we're, we're worshiping God who came and did what we couldn't do. He lived perfectly. Yet he died as our substitution in our place on the cross for our sins if we would trust him. But then we don't just have somebody who died for us and is still dead, but he died for us, paid that price, but then he resurrects to life and sits on his throne as king. And he's in control and we can trust him. And so believe the resurrection. I plead with you, believe the resurrection. Otherwise, the joke is on us. We're worshiping a dead God. We're singing to a dead God. Some of you woke up this morning and had a devotional with a dead guy, right? Like your imaginary friend or something. We're praying to a dead guy. We're in a big club right now, surrounded by a dead guy. And if religion is, this is it. It's just religion. And it's just us kind of huddling and helping each other. There's no real power because he didn't conquer the grave. And we're wasting our time. And if you're anything like me, time is precious. But we're not wasting our time. He is real. He resurrected. And I want to call you to devote your life to Jesus. Devote your life to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Jesus. And if you haven't trusted in him, I believe that that today is the day for salvation. Today is the day for you to call on him and to say, yes, I believe you. And I don't just believe in the resurrection, but I, I, I so believe the resurrection that I'm banking my life on it. I'm in. Full on. I'm in. I'm following you. I'm denying myself. I'm denying my sin. And I'm trusting you, Jesus. I'm following after you. You know, 1 Corinthians 15 in verse 26 later we'll say it says that the last enemy that god destroys is death that death will be no more that he is victorious over death for us and so we can trust in him john 11 uh, 25 jesus says i am the resurrection and the life and whoever believes in me though he die yet he will live and so will you believe in the resurrection but not just kind of believe half-heartedly believe, but will you believe to the point that you trust him with everything, that you bank in your life on him, you really believe in Jesus. That's what I'm calling you to tonight. Can we pray?
God, we love you. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you that without it, what we're doing is foolishness. But Lord, we, we thank you that with it, we have hope for this life and the next. We have power in this life and we have eternal life with you. And so God, we, we want to trust in that. And I pray for anybody in this room tonight who doesn't trust in Jesus, who hasn't really placed faith in Jesus. Not a blind leap of faith, but an informed step of faith. And so Lord, stir their hearts. May they call out to you in this time and just recognize their need for you because of their sin and recognize what you've done that they would turn from their sin and turn to you. Not that they're going to be perfect, but that you are making them perfect. You are working in their hearts to the day that you call them home. So may people in this room tonight trust in you. God, for our, our, our Christian brothers and sisters in this room, Lord, may they examine their hearts, as Paul says. Just make sure that they they really do trust in Jesus to the point that he's changing them. His power is being displayed in their lives. I commit them to you, Father. Do your work in us, Lord. We worship you for, for your victory, Father. We worship you because you have done what no one else has ever done, that you conquered the grave. We worship you for that, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.